So um, we're in the final season of Advent here, and our theme today is the crucified God of Christmas. And so two things I want to do today. One is I, I want to uh, bring a biblical truth around Christmas that is rarely talked about. Amen. You don't even know what I'm saying yet. <laughs> but that's good. Keep it up. Keep it up. That's good. I like that. And, uh, and the second, then I want to, out of that, I want to just offer two invitations that uh, that I believe are God for us uh, for the Christmas season. And so uh, before we do this, oh, thank you, I got my chair. Let, let's, uh, let's take, uh, you know, 30 seconds or so, and let's, you know, be still before the Lord. You know, the uh, Habakkuk 2 says, uh, the Lord uh, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And so what I'd like to do is, is just invite you to take your palms like this, and just, you know, around the world, especially the Eastern Orthodox Church, they're very much into body prayer. And so posture and, uh, is significant. And so go like this with your, with your hands, like on your, you know, knees. Well, with that, you can pray like this, you know. Uh, you can pray like this, you know, and that's a message, right? And, or you can pray like this, which is really it's a posture of I'm open. Uh, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's a posture of, I want to receive from you. Do you understand? You can't give anything at Christmas if you don't receive first. Amen. You can only give what's coming in, and that can go out. You can't, something can't go out of you that ain't in you. Amen. That's called religion, okay? But that Jesus, to be receiving, one has something to give. So we're going to take just about 30 seconds or so, because we're going to open up scripture. We're going to be, hopefully be responsive. Um, but I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes. And again, and just... Three things, your, your, your palms are straight. Lord, I want, to re- I want to receive your love today. Uh, I open up my will. I surrender my will to your will. And Lord, I'm open to hear your voice as well. I'm listening. Uh, my ears aren't shut. So let's just take 30 seconds or so. And so, Lord, we do corporately, corporately we surrender our will to your will. Lord, lead us and guide us in the way we should go uh, today, the next few days. We receive your love, Lord. Uh, May your love just wash over all of us now. And, Lord, open up our ears that we might have ears to hear uh, what you're saying in a message that in some ways is familiar, but... Lord, may it be revelation to us and may you change us. May your food, may your word be food that keeps us alive. And we affirm what you've said, Jesus, that humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And so, Lord, feed us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Thank you, everybody. It's good. Awesome. So, uh, the crucified God of Christmas, the great title. Right, hold that in your head here. So, uh, our text, there's going to be two texts I, w- I want to uh, bring together here. The first is from John 1.14, uh, which reads as follows. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. So the first text, very famous, right, is that uh, 
you know, Jesus is the word, so uh, communicating to us, and that he was God and was with God, so, and, and he made his dwelling among us, that he came to earth, and we've seen his glory. So at a moment in history, God came. The creator, you got you to catch how inconceivable this is, that the creator of the universe uh, became man, and without ceasing to be God over the whole universe, uh, became one of us, and that at a moment in history, that human beings, we saw at, at his glory, actually saw him visibly, he was accessible. And the second verse is, is out of a, an angel comes to uh, Joseph in a dream and speaks to Joseph and says, she, Mary, will give birth to his son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their, their sins. And so it makes it very, makes the connection right at the outset the incarnation, God's going to come. At the same time, there's going to be a crucifixion. There's going to be a death for sin. And the two were held together, which I'll explain in just a moment. But these two verses, I want you to just hold together as we go into Christmas here. Uh, because it's inconceivable. It's, it's out of uh, our human capacity to grasp this level of a love of God that comes after us. And I hope that you'll get a little bit more insight into it um, Today, but I want to begin with a story. All right, it's a, it's a dramatic story, but it's a true story about a Christian in the year 1569 uh, in Europe. His name was Dirk Willems. Dirk Willems, and at, uh, because of his faith in Christ, he was captured and put on trial and basically given a sentence of execution. And uh, so, during his time, he's in jail, waiting to be executed. Uh, he has an unexpected opportunity to escape. Now, understand, he's there for his faith. Uh, so he climbs outside the window of the jail cell with some, through a rope, you know, ties some sheets together, whatever, gets down and starts running for his life. And he has to run over a large lake of ice. And uh, so as he's rushing across the ice, thin ice, uh, the jailer who is guarding him starts chasing after him. Now, understand that Dirk Willems, this guy, has lost a lot of weight because he's been in prison. So he's thin. So he, the, the ice may be thin, but it's not breaking. The guy following him, the jailer, has not been in prison. He's a bit chubby. All right, I don't know how chubby, but he's, a, he's got more weight. So as he's chasing Dirk Willems, the ice breaks and the jailer goes into the, into the freezing water. And he screams out for help. Dirk Williams um, hears the cry, sees the man back there, you know, going in the water. And uh, so he turns back. And he turns back to grab him. And he pulls him up out of the water. And uh, so, you know, he stops, he listens, he pulls him up. And, of course, they put him back in jail. And then a few days later, they decide to torture him and execute him. They burn him at a stake. So that's the end of the story. But it may not sound like a good ending. What would you have done if you were Dirk Willems? I know what I would have done. I would have kept running, okay? Okay. Absolutely. I would say, you know what? God is in this, all right? God took care of him. The non-Christian doesn't believe in Jesus, and he's blessing me as I run through the woods. You know, I'm out of here. 
In fact, I started making a list of all the reasons I would not have stopped, you know. And uh, definitely, I think the top one was, I'm the good guy and he's the bad guy. And so it seems like this worked out pretty good. But something had happened in the heart of Dirk Willems. For him to have gone back, like something about his relationship with God, something about his grasp of this, I'm going to call it again, the inconceivable love of God. Something had so gripped him that it now was changing the way he related to somebody who wanted to do him harm. That's the power. So it's not just God had grabbed his heart. It was so deep that that was actually translating into something about this relationship. And he's pulling this guy to safety uh, at his own expense. And so today, my prayer is I have a very simple hope and prayer, uh, which is that Christmas is meant to offer us a taste of the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of Jesus. That's really, it's a focus to taste it and experience it deeply, to grasp it so that it actually changes the way we relate to everybody around us. And, you know, we're very fortunate. We've got a holiday around it. So our text is, is, really shows this, these two texts. And I put them together purposely, that you can't talk about the incarnation, which is God coming to earth in a person of Jesus, the creator of the universe, without ceasing to be God, becomes a man without talking about the crucifixion. In fact, if you study church history and you look at all the history of the church, they always talked about the two together, never separately. And so today I wanted to bring the two together again because of, they're so important, as I hope you'll see. So, so this is, a, paint, this is a, um, a painting called the Marode Altarpiece. And it was done in the late 1400s in the Renaissance. And it's actually, right now you can go see, can go see this at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the Cloisters in Upper Manhattan. It's there. And uh, it's got these three, three scenes. It's an altarpiece. But it's, it's actually, it's meant to depict the uh, pronouncement to Mary by the angel Gabriel that, you know, she's going to bear Jesus. And understand that in the 1400s, when they did art through, through history, that people weren't literate. You know, they, 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 most people were not readers. So, so art was a means of prayer. It was a means of pondering God, you know, and meeting God. So this was meant to be prayed through and pondered for, you know, hours. Now, in that painting, and you really can't see it here, but in, I did something which, if you're an artist, please forgive me, okay? I, I did something which you see on the top of the angel, on the, in the middle one, there's a circle around something. You can't see what it is, no. Now, that circle is not in the original painting. Uh, I did it myself with my little marker, okay, in the PowerPoint, all right? But because I wanted to show you what that, what's in that. Because imagine if you're sitting there praying as a person, here's what you would have seen in that. It's Jesus, the baby Jesus coming from heaven. But you see, he's holding a cross. You see that? So it's, it's Jesus holding a cross because, again, you, you couldn't separate the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, from the crucifixion of Jesus. He came to be crucified on our behalf. And again, it was, they were both held together. Uh, and that's why uh, the Apostle Paul if you read the epistles, it doesn't matter what the topic is. You're talking about marriage, you're talking about money, you're talking about uh, work. Everything for him is about the crucifixion. Everything. Because the crucifixion informs everything. Leadership, servanthood, you name it. 
And he, so he writes things like, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, it's so easy, he writes this to the Corinthians, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in other things, which are all good and true, but like the Corinthians were all into like glory and you know, tongues and everything. And Paul says, listen, get grounded here, okay? It's always about the crucifixion of Jesus. It keeps us all grounded. So we talk about Christmas. We got to talk about the crucifixion with the incarnation because they go together. So, um, because we are in, we're, 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 we're celebrating a power shift that happened in the universe at a moment in time. And that power shift was that God came into a world that looks like this. That prison, that the world, humanity, we were in prison. We're prison, we're prison we were prisoners of war in a territory controlled by the devil himself. We're under the power of sin, under the power of death, under the power of Satan himself. And God invaded in the person of Jesus. And then he was crucified for our sins, broke the chain and the lock, and now set us free for those who would receive that. But that is the news of the gospel. I, you know, I, I just love the image because uh, it shows the, the enslavement. In other words, you, we couldn't save ourselves. And for thousands of years, the blood of you know, goats and bulls were offered. But God came and he offered his own blood. So there's two aspects I want to, two things happen at the cross. And, and uh, just, I want to just mention them briefly. But lots of things happen at the cross. But the first is obviously forgiveness. And that, you know, God comes in the person of Jesus, the God-man. And Jesus does not offer, again, the blood of goats and lambs. He offers his own blood for our sins of the humanity. He, he, he is crucified for us and in our place. He's our substitute. We deserve to die. He dies for us. And uh, he frees us from judgment. He frees us from the sins. sins. He frees us from the powers that keep us captive. And so now the great news of the gospel is there's actually forgiveness for the worst of the worst and the least of the worst. Would you call yourself, William? You were the best of the worst. And I said, no, you're the worst of the worst, all right? Because you may think you're the best of the worst. No, and you may think the person next to you is the worst of the worst. And I got news for you. You're the worst of the worst, okay? We're all the worst of the worst if we get a handle on it, you know? And, and uh, you know, we all come, uh, you know, humble and broken, captive, in bondage, and Jesus rescues us. That's the, that's the glory of the cross of Christ. It's free. You didn't do anything for it. I, I just love that. So think of the person that's the worst sinner you know in, the, in, in history. He died for them too. We tend to divide people up on the good guys and the bad guys. No, he just died for everybody. It's so funny how many people work for justice and they hate the perpetrators. Perpetrators, they forget. No, you know what I'm saying? Jesus died for them too. The victims and those who caused the victimization. But not only that, uh, there's another aspect here of, of this unimaginable love of God. Yes, there's forgiveness, there's, but there's actually more going on here at the cross. And I'm going I'm to simply call it, there's an issue of justice happening. Now, if you're like me, it can, it can be, you know, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm a high feeler guy. The sufferings and injustices in the world get to me. They bother me. And always have since, you know, the day I came to Christ. I remember being a student when I came to faith in Christ. And, you know, you're reading, at that point, you're reading a lot of what's happened in history and all that. And I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. Like, God, 
How can there be so much suffering evil from the beginning of history, right? From Cain and Abel, Babylon, to the Syrians, to the, you know, to the Persians, to the Roman Empire. I mean, you just go through, the, go through the Holocaust, to Rwanda, to genocides, and, and abuses, and wars, and rape cultures. And, and uh, you know, the, again, I think of abuse of children. I think of murders. I, uh, we can just go on betrayals, big and, you know, big and small betrayals. The injustices towards, whether it's through refugees or or um, marginalized people, or the mentally ill. Or, I mean, we can just go on the list, and you're like, oh my gosh. Then you think of the evil that moves through sometimes governments, and government agencies, and corporations, and political parties, and the educational system, that powers and principalities seem to almost take over large entities and begin to crush people, even though they're supposed to be helping. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when you think about something like the slave trade, or you say, where, where, how do you make reparations for something like that? How, where can there be justice? You ever think of, I don't know where you're on capital punishment. I'm not a big capital punishment person. But even if you are, someone kills somebody else. So you kill them. But is there really been justice? I mean, the guy, the other person is still dead. And it's like, it's, it's, if you think about justice and just think about, you know, things like the Holocaust or just, you just it, it's never enough. I mean, it's it, on this side of heaven, and we are called to work for justice. I really believe that as Christ followers, that we stand for Jesus, for the poor and marginalized who can't speak for themselves. But we have to always keep in mind the fact of that on this side of heaven, there's never going to be justice, full justice, that really makes up for all the horrors that happen. And um, let me give an example of this uh, that kind of brings it home. In April 1994, uh, in northern Iraq, there was a no-fly zone going on. And what happened was there was these two Air Force jet planes that accidentally shot down two United States helicopters and killed 26 people. It was called friendly fire incident. But 26 people were killed. And so the question was, whose fault was this? I mean, who, like, somebody made a big mistake here. You shot down two helicopters, not just one. And so you could imagine the families of these 26 people, men and women, like, you got brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and orphans now. You've got parents. I mean, just imagine the agony. So they they court-martial one person uh, from the incident. And then they go to the court-martial, and the guy is declared innocent, and so it's over. And so these 26 families are like, they're like, they weren't looking for vengeance. They weren't like, um, you know, nasty people. It was just, what made the suffering worse for them, they said, was just, there was just no sense of justice for what happened. And so, no one was taking their pain seriously. And so, one widow with a couple of small children, she articulated on all their behalf, I think, the challenge. Here's what she said. She goes, I'm still baffled how 26 people could be brutally killed. Yet not one person is held accountable. Not, not one person. And isn't there someone, of all the evils that have gone on in history and the evils that go around around us in your own workplace and maybe have happened to you, you say, can't someone be held accountable for this? And you understand, at the cross, Jesus steps in and says, I'll be accountable. I, as if I've committed every crime ever committed in human history, I will bear 
the punishment and the judgment and the wrath that that evil fully deserved. I'll absorb it all on me. So it's not just forgiveness of sin. He brings all the injustice of the world. He takes them all in at the cross and he absorbs it. And that's, that's why it, 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 there's, there's a great word in the Bible called righteousness. It's used over and over again. And a lot of studies have been done. And books have been written about it because there's so many rich meanings to it. But one of the meanings of the word righteousness is the word for justice. So, for example, in Romans 1, it says this. In the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed. Okay, something from heaven is revealed. Uh, you know, God who knew no sin became sin. We, he lived a perfect record. It's given to us. All that righteousness word. But as one scholar says, but there's also another meaning to this word. His justice has been revealed. In other words, God reveals justice that Jesus bore it all on that cross. So what I've been doing, I, it's funny, I, I've been, the last few months, I've been, well, the last probably six months, I've been pondering this thing. And when I've been reading the newspapers, and if you're like me, I get very chagrined and discouraged by global and national news and even a little bit of local news. And I I, I say, oh, Jesus died for that. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he bore the punishment for that too. He bore that injustice too. And just going back to the cross, like, Jesus died for that. He, he, He took the injustice. He stepped forward. And as one, this one theologian had written, they said, if you really want to understand the crucifixion, uh, she said, you have to be willing to look at the evil fully to understand what Jesus paid for. And she ended up quoting a couple of you know, situations in history. So I actually picked up a book uh, that she had recommended on a Polish massacre that took place in 1941. Not by the Nazis, but... It was an anti-Semitic, where half the town was Gentile and half were Jews. They'd lived together for centuries, apparently. But in the midst of all that was going on around the World War II, the Gentiles turned on the Jews. And actually, it was the, it was the kind of massacre that took place. From these, they were all friends and neighbors, worked together, went to school, kids played together. But all of a sudden, it's kind of like that. It's just, as you know, the, the, the demons just take over, you know? And, and it was just a horrific nature of the of what happened to these 1,600 people, men, women, children. And it ended up being, after the war ended, it was this huge, long trial with great detail about what happened and how this could have happened. And again, the same situation where there was just no sense of justice. It was just so, it was just, you left hanging, maybe somebody got went to jail for it, but it was like not even near commensurate to what had happened. And the point was, Jesus died for that too. He bore that on it. And... Um, Uh, So, again, we're talking here about an inconceivable love of God for you and for me to to come, God drawing near to us, coming near to us. So so what's the invitation? Because, in a sense, there's no reparation that could ever take place for all the injustice. But Jesus is it, and he loves you, and he comes close to us. So so what's the invitation? I'm going to give you two invitations today for us to go home with. The first is this. The first invitation is not to rush. Okay, don't rush. The whole, now listen, the, the whole purpose of Christmas, there's a holiday in, in Western culture, that's a global, global culture now, that actually set aside that we would actually stop, that we would remember, that we would reflect, that we would wonder and 
contemplate the amazing glory that God became a human being in Jesus and was crucified for us. That, that he was, he's drawing near to us that we would actually draw near to him around this time of year, not further away from him. That just, we're, all in a, we're all in a rush, right? I mean, I'm in a rush. has nothing to do with Christmas. Christmas just adds to it a bit. You know, I'm a, I know I'm definitely a rush-aholic. Like, it's in my genes. I just rush. I'm not even going anywhere, and I'm rushing. Okay, I just... My wife says, where are you going? I said, I have no idea. It's just in me. But I do love art. I've always loved art. Some of you are artists here. And, you know, as you know... And so I get near a museum, uh, and I'm often with my wife and my kids, you know, over the years, and I'd be like, I just want to sit there before Rembrandt or before, you know... Uh, Van Gogh, because it's so incredible, right? Just like, but as you know, in a, your typical museum, you're there and people are just racing through, you know? My, 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 my kids, are, yeah, 15 minutes, dad, that's it, you know, I'm out of here, you know? But, you know, great art, like great music, is, is meant to pull you in. It's, it's, it's meant to be pondered because it's got depth and beauty to it. And so it is meant not to be rushed past. It, it, that's why so often as chairs, or you sit there and you take it in and you ponder and meditate on it. This is Rembrandt's uh, prodigal son, which we've used here at church over the years. And uh, it's an incredible painting. Now you can look and say, ah, I got that, yeah, prodigal son, father's love, yeah, move on, yeah, next. You know, got it, got it. Making a selfie, you know, in front of Rembrandt. You know, it's like, I got it, I got it. And that's like Christmas. I got it, I got it, we're holidays, there we are, you know. Pass the food, pass the potatoes, you know. And, you know, it's just like, got some of my gifts and I'm just... We got our pictures, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. But like the truth is like we just rushed right past it. It was just another day. And of course, that's where everyone, and the hard thing about going to a museum, if you go to like the Met in New York, it's the crowd around you that's zipping past everything. So you got to kind of ignore them. Like, like you know, I got to like focus here, like on the painting because there's a crowd, it's very difficult. And, um, and the same thing with Christmas. Like how do I ponder the inconceivable and glory of God and coming in the person of Jesus and the crucifixion at a time of the year when it's pure pandemonium going on around me and everyone's rushing about. And, uh, and so, you know, God invites you. There's an invitation right now not to rush, but to, to receive his love. We just like, oh, yeah, oh. And to actually rest, like rest in his love. Like, okay, he's got the whole, he's got it. Like, he's got all is well. There's a great line from Julian of Norwich when in 1300s in England, she was an anchorite, the whole anchorist, the whole world's falling apart around her. And Jesus comes to her in a vision and says, all is well, all shall be well. In the end, all will be well. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. The crucifixion, he died for that. He's got it. He's got it. <sighs> just receive his love, you know, and, and just take it in. And, uh, but most of the time, we're just r- rushing past it. Now, now here, here's, here's the problem is that we, we don't want to... So many of us, we don't want to draw near to God because we're not really like, like, Jesus is God. Like when they said, Jesus, show us a face that the Father will be satisfied. And Jesus says, if I've been with you so long that you don't know me, like he was seeing me, has seen the Father. Like, like don't, are you getting it? But many of us have this view of God that like, he's not very safe. So I'm like, I'd rather go back to my phone and, and do, you know, send tweets, you know. And, and, and so here, I'm going to give you four top distortions of God that I think keep many of us from drawing near, from responding to this invitation that really is what Christmas is about, to draw near to him. The first is, for many of us, we just see God as like a, he's like a demanding parent. It's like it's never enough. 
You know, it's like God comes to you and says, you know what? I died for you. I gave my life to you. What are you doing? What are you doing here? Hey, I'm giving you a C minus for the last two weeks. I know what's going on in that mind of yours. It's not working, okay? Let's shape it up here. You know, like, you know, who feels like coming up to that, you know? Or some of us, our second distortion some of us have is like, God's just like, he's in the military. He's like a general. You know, he's like, stand up, William, when I, talk, I speak to you now. Call me, sir. You know, I got work to you. You're not even doing the work. You know, shine those shoes. And, and it's, God's angry all the time. And he's basically, do you hear me? You know, I hear you, God. I hear you. I hear you. You know, it's just like, you know, we got this. Who wants to go near to this? And you must pull away. For others of us, we just see God as a, as a sadist, you know, cosmic sadist. Like there's all this pain and suffering. God will like do something, you know. It's like I don't want to journey to God because it's like all this evil going on around me. And you got the power. Stop it. And that was a big struggle for me in my early years. And others of us, we just see God as like a grandfather Santa Claus. He's just far away. He's distant. Like why come to him? He's got his own mind filled with things. And he's just, he's just like, he's, he's just, God's like, just have a nice day. Just be good like Santa and so, you know, he's just this distant God. And so, but it's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the God who came to earth in a person of Jesus to break those chains. This is not the God who was crucified for you. So much he wants me, he wants you, he wants fellowship. He's so that he would go to this kind of length to get near us. He's not going to force himself down your throat, but he's trying to woo you with his love, with his beauty with his glory, with his mercy, and the power of it is meant to seep deep into you and deep into me. And um, I, I like what you know, Richard Foster says. You know, 25 years ago, he wrote this. It's still true. You know, he says, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things to keep us away from such a love. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Listen, I was at Costco yesterday, two days ago, picking up a, po- a loin of pork for my mother-in-law, who's 93 years old, all right, for $1.56 a pound. And there was a crowd around this loin of pork. I couldn't get to the, what do you call it, the case to get one because the people are fighting for it, you know what I'm saying? I just want to get this piece of meat for my mother-in-law. I'm not, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking to crowd. I just, and I, and I, and I, and I took a picture from my wife. I said, is this the right thing? Because it's not worth the wait. Talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. I said, I can't find anybody. Right now, it's chaos at Costco, all right, for the loin of pork for $1.56 a pound. But the crowds, the noise, it has been said that we, we together are the most distracted generation in human history. Never has human history had the amount of change going on at the speed of change and technology like we do, constantly bombarding us. And so it's very difficult to ponder anything, to slow down and not rush and, and, and for anything gorgeous like God. And, uh, and so if we're going to, and so we keep saying, I'll, I'll slow down when I finish, and I hear this from young people, when I finish high school, I'll slow down. I'm like, you have no idea, Sherlock. <laughs> when I finish college, I'll slow down or grad school. You know, when I get married, I get my own apartment and you know, I get a house and you know, I retire and get settled financially. And when, I'm, when I hit 100, you know, you're 90 now and you're still out of control. Just go to a retirement community in Florida and you will see how busy everybody is, okay? Because it's, it, it, it's deeper than it's Christmas. It's way deeper than that. It's, it's inside of us. And Christmas and the crucifixion is about God saying, slow down here and don't rush, okay? Because I've got something for you to see. It's me. Something for you to ponder and to pull you 
in. And really, the, the, the only person we can learn from is Jesus. Now, you think you've got a lot of things to do? You think you've got important things to do? Jesus is doing the most important work in all of human history. And in verse 15 in Luke 5, it says this, news about him spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. So it, it, you know, Luke is kind of contrasting these two things. He's under enormous pressure. Remember, people come with him, I'm dying, you know, I got leprosy, I'm blind, you know, I got demons, my kids. I mean, imagine, there's, there's, there's not hospitals, they're all over him, swarming. So how, how does he not rush and get crazy? Well, Jesus, again, models for us. This is, he needed to withdraw, he often withdrew, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is not rocket science, everybody. This is not like you need a course in seminary. It's, it's a somehow... You and I, we've got to withdraw to pray. I've got, got to withdraw to somehow, con- whatever way you can, scripture, prayer, silence, connect. Like, slow down and like, oh, incar- Christmas incarnate. God came to earth in a, in a human being without ceasing to be God. And he died for me. And honestly, he broke the power of Satan and sin. He died for all the injustices of all of history. He absorbed all of it. And he's risen he set me, I mean, just to ponder this kind of stuff. you got, you got to withdraw from the noise, the hurry, the technology, all of it. And Jesus models that for us. And, and that's why, you know, in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, which we teach here at New Life for all of you, all of us who are part of our community, because we know we got to slow everybody down. We've got to teach foundationally being still. Now take a nice deep breath. <sighs> to be silent before the Lord. To, to have communion in a relationship with a living God. I mean, we know at New Life that without that, we're just shuffling chairs on a Titanic here. There's a lot of words. Because this is the place of life. And everything flows out of this. And listen, just the fact that you withdraw and show up, even if it doesn't go well, it's been a home run. So I learned from a great monk. The fact that you showed up to be with God, even if your mind was distracted, didn't go well, it was perfect. Because you showed up and God's waiting to meet you there. So, but there's one other thing. Don't rush. There's one other application. The second is don't judge. And I'll close with this. Most of us, if you're like me, and I think you are, we live our lives making judgments of people. We've got opinions about everything, especially around Christmas. We get together with family and friends and, you know, it's just so deep. It's so much part of our DNA. You know, we're, they, people show up Christmas, you, you, you dress, you kill you. you Came in dressed like that, and then he's like, "You, you, I bought you this, and you got me this." You're dating who? Who? You're you're getting divorced again? Like, you you you're going to what church? That 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 shaky church? Or you're not going to that cheeky church like I am, you know? And you're, you're oh, you're a, you're, you're a Democrat? You're, what? You voted for who? Oh, you're a Republican? You want the wall? I mean, and they're like, bang, you know, it's like. And because we all want everyone to be like us. I mean, I want them to think like I think and have opinions like I have opinions. It's kind of narcissistic, like I want you like me. And so we're so often, some of us, we go through life frustrated. 
We're frustrated with our bosses, our family, our best friends, our kids. We're just frustrated because no one's got it right like you do, you know, and I do. You know? Now, there was an, art, there was an article uh, a number of years ago, and, and, and what they did was they, they took a, a picture of the digital communications going on, on through blogs of the liberals and the conservatives, all right? So you got the reds and you got the blues, and they're writing blogs. And, and you, you notice the yellow in between? The yellow is where they actually connect and talk to each other, uh, which is very small. It's the connective tissue. But this, this is all around the election of 2004, which is very interesting. And here's what they found out. They tracked this, how data was going back and forth. And they said 91% of the communication stayed in the community where it originated. In other words, everyone's just talking to themselves. Because <laughs> no one's even talking to somebody who thinks differently. And now, think of that. That's 2004. It's 2000. It's 15 years later almost, right? How much more polarized is our culture today? I mean, some of you can't go to dinner with family members. I know. You've told me. Like, I can't even bear the fact that he or she is showing up, you're saying, you know. Now, J.D. Lederach is a, a Christ follower who has been involved in conflicts in countries for the last 30 to 40 years, like Northern Ireland, Colombia with guerrillas, uh, Bosnia, and working with Christians very often. And here's what he said about Christians. He goes, we listen to God about as well as we listen to those we do not agree with. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because you're going to be sitting down with some people you don't agree with in the next couple of days. We listen to God about as well as we listen to those we do not agree with. If that is true, and I believe it is, we're in big trouble, everybody. Now, because we judge like crazy. Karl Barth was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He said that, and I, and I read this about, I don't know, nine months ago, and I was like, oh, my gosh. About, about, a, about Genesis 3, the original sin, uh, the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. He goes, what's at the root of that is they wanted to be the judge between good and evil. That's why they ate and they, grant, they disobeyed God because they wanted to be in the place of judgment. And he goes, the gospel is that Jesus came, he is the judge, and he throws us off the seat of judgment because we're not the judge, he is. And then our job is to love people, not that we don't have opinions. I know you've got lots of discernment to help everybody with, I know that. <laughs> but like, it's not, I'm not talking about being backbone. I'm talking about actually loving and respecting people's journey and actually listening and being present with people and like Jesus with people. And uh, we set ourselves up as judge like we can determine good or evil. Like we know enough to do that. That role belongs to God alone. So here's your assignment. Ready? Here's your homework. I'm going to ask this year, I mean this next couple of days, I want you to take one person that you're going to probably judge this year at Christmas table and do not judge that person. Just one. Don't worry about the other 12. Just pick up the one that right now, like they give you a pit. Like you have a knot in your stomach because you think they've already sent you an email about something. And you're like, oh, I can't believe they're showing up again. And that this year, you're actually, because my, my prayer and hope is that the inconceivable love of Jesus gets so into you that you'll actually grab a hand and pull them up out of the ice rather than push them down into the water, you know, because they're ungodly. Um, but, and you'll say, you know, when you're, you're tempted to go that way, your heart wants to scream, you say, Lord, I offer you my heart of judgmentalism. Please melt me. Please melt me. Listen, the world's in chains. That's it. Uh, but because of the crucified God at Christmas, 
The Son of God has destroyed the works of the devil. Friends, there is a freedom that's available to us. He has disarmed the powers of principalities uh, through the cross. Okay, it's a, it is a new day. And what was impossible before is no longer impossible because of God. And the Holy Spirit's here and is a new way for us. And so there is actually forgiveness for the worst of the worst. And there's forgiveness for the least of the least. Uh, we can rest. We can receive his love. And uh, listen, you know what prayer is? When I stop and pray every day, I'm the guy in the water. I'm just like, oh, Jesus, I'm hanging on to Jesus. Like, that's, to me, like, that's, that's what prayer is. I'm just, I'm just, I need you, Jesus. If nothing else happens, it shows I'm needy. That's why we stop, we pray. So I want to invite you to, to, to grab on to him. Don't rush, but grab on to him. And then secondly, I want to invite you to grab to somebody in the water who's that one person that you're just like, you just want to take your hand and just push him down, you know, shut them up. I'm going to add that today. You're going to say, oh, okay, so tell me, what caused you to believe that political point of view? Like, help me understand why you believe that. And you're actually going to listen and try to enter their world, you know, and, and not make a judgment because you're not the judge. At the cross, Jesus was crucified because he's the judge of all the earth who was judged on our behalf, and that's not our office to occupy. Amen. He took care of it. Ours is to love and be his extension. So um, a Dirk Willem moment is what we want to pray for. So let's pray. I want to invite you all to stand. Worship team, come. Let's take a nice deep breath. Let's open up our palms up towards heaven. And so, Lord, we grab on to you. We, as, we're, as we're in the water, we, we, we hold on to you, Jesus. And I ask you to still our hearts, Lord. Slow us down by the Holy Spirit. Do in us what we can never do for ourselves. And grant us each a revelation of this inconceivable love of the incarnation, the crucifixion that you've demonstrated for us. And Lord, free us, I pray. Break the chains off us that just are judgmental. And teach us to love. One person at a time, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's sing together. Oh, come let us
We've got some prayer teams to your right. I want to invite you to go there and the Lord's table to uh, your left. And uh, as we close here, so each one of these opportunities is a chance to draw near to Jesus. So again, incarnation and crucifixion, Christmas is about God coming after us. But he doesn't force himself down your throat. It's an invitation. He's trying to pull you in with his beauty, pull you in with his love. And so you're sitting here today and I don't know what you're going through and where you are in your journey, but maybe something's going on in your life. You just need, you need to come for prayer. He's like, oh my gosh. And, and maybe you realize, I'm just, my heart is hard. I'm far from Jesus. I just got to come. And uh, I'm, I'm in some kind of a chain is on me and I need to be set free. And I want to invite you to come forward for prayer and let us lay hands on you because Jesus has come and died to set you free. And you're not to carry that. He came to free you. In the Lord's table, you have the same reason. They eat and drink of Jesus, who is our life. And that'll be here as well for you, okay? So let me invite you again. Close, open your hands up towards heaven. Let me just speak a blessing. You want to just receive a blessing. Because God's going to bless you because he wants you to be a blessing to those around you. So may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you. And may this extraordinary, you know, powerful mercy and love of Jesus, may it just wash over you and wash into your heart and dig out all the hardness and the crevices and, and, and wash away the chains. And may the Lord free you with his love. And may you feel the warmth of the Spirit of God who's now on you. And may your love for Jesus come alive. And may you leave here and, and not just be blessed, but may you actually be a blessing. And may you be like Dirk Willem. May you, may you pull people up rather than push them down this Christmas. May God cleanse you of judgmentalism. May you be a blessing. And may you be safe for everyone you touch. And may you reflect Jesus. So we bless you as you leave this place. In Christ's name. And may his good hand rest upon you. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.